The subjects discussed in this podcast are sensitive and at times may be uncomfortable and controversial. The intent is not to teach or educate. The intent is to provoke independent thought through faith to better understand our differences and embrace them. Human conservation faces the challenges of today's society head-on by leaving our comfort zones and having the courage to discuss difficult subjects that keep us all divided. Pull up a chair and join me at the table as we search for ways to better connect with one another. The Human Conservation Podcast with host Reverend Corby Willette. Restoring faith in humanity by exploring the paths of culture, history, science, nature, and spirituality. Promoting human conservation through human conversation. Welcome to the Human Conservation Podcast. I'm your host, Reverend Corby. I hope everyone's had a blessed week. It's been an interesting one for me, and we're going to get into that a little bit in a few moments. But I want to take a minute to acknowledge the passing of Queen Elizabeth. No doubt that this is going to dominate our TV over the next several weeks, and the media outlets are going to be scrambling to cover the funeral as well as the coronation of the now King Charles. But before we get sick of all the chaos that ensues, let's try and remember this woman sat on the throne for more than 70 years. Now, you can think what you want about being a royal or what the royal family is and what it means, but it's a lot more than what it seems. It's not just rich people having fun. It doesn't take a genius to figure out Princess Diana struggled, Prince Harry struggles, and for this woman, Queen Elizabeth, to endure all of the problems that come with it for 71 years years or more, it's got to say something about her character, and that's to be celebrated. So Queen Elizabeth, rest in peace. Now last week we talked about making God our God by force, and if you have time, you should really go back and give it a listen. It was a good episode. This week we're going to be talking about leadership in faith and what the role of ministers, priests, and pastors should not only play in our personal lives, but in society as a whole. So let's get started, shall we? Back when my daughter was 14 years old, she came into my room and she asked me a question I never expected that I would have to answer. She said, Dada, what's a good age to lose your virginity? I remember getting lightheaded. I didn't know if I should be mad that she would ask such a preposterous question or if I should be frightened of not knowing where she was going with this in a pit like formed in my stomach. I took a deep breath and I said, do you want to know what the father answer is or the real answer? And she said, what's the father answer? In which I quickly said, 35. And she made a face at me and then I said, then she said, what's the real answer? And I said it just like this. Hear my words very carefully. If I found out that such a thing happened beyond the age of 16, I could probably handle it. That doesn't mean on your 16th birthday that you have a license to go cruising for a mate. Now, I was chastised by some people for giving that advice to my daughter. The biblical advice is to wait until marriage. Everyone had two cents as far as what the Bible says we shouldn't do, what the Bible says that we should do. Everybody had an opinion. My son's name is Jameson. 
My wife and I got destroyed on social media for posting a picture of him with a Jameson whiskey bottle in his crib as if we actually put it in his baby bottle to drink. Or people would hear an F-bomb come out of my mouth or see me do a shot of whiskey uh, at a party or drink a beer at a barbecue and I would see the eyebrows raise or that curious look that says, you shouldn't be doing that. You're a man of Christ. It's not that I condone this behavior. Sometimes you have to meet people where they are at. Back in 1965, the band The Birds came out with a song called Turn, Turn, Turn. You know, to everything, turn, turn, turn. But 2,000 years before that song came out, those lyrics were penned in the Old Testament in the book of Ecclesiastes. And it reads, a time for everything. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them together. A time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time of love and a time of hate. A time of war and a time for peace. I don't necessarily think what makes a good evangelist is the ability to look or speak a certain way. I put more stock in the ability to reach people in a positive way and a meaningful way. Don't get me wrong, preaching is a vital part of faith and it can really enhance spiritual growth. But there is a reason that actions speak louder than words. Look no farther than televangelists. Guys like Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggart, I believe at the start that these guys were good men and had it right at the very beginning. But money can be a powerful thing, and it drives people to do crazy things. Both of these men were taken down by their own greed and lust, but they looked good while they were up on the pulpit. Just take a look at what the Catholic Church just went through several years ago with the cover-ups and the sexual abuse scandals. But those people looked real official on the altar with all of their flowing robes and uh, golden cups and things like that. So what I want everyone to do is for a moment, think to yourself what a minister or spiritual leader is supposed to look like. What exactly are they supposed to do? What are they responsible for? Who are they responsible for? What level of accountability should they have and do they get the same level of grace as everybody else? Now, all of these questions present a slippery slope. I don't think very many people think about it, actually. What does a spiritual leader look like? Let's look again at Scripture for a second here. Now, we're in the book of Isaiah 53, chapter 53, verses 2 and 3. This is a prophecy about the coming of Christ, and it reads, He grew up before them like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, 
nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Based on this scripture, it sounds like Jesus just looks like a regular guy, or even worse, nothing special. My interpretation of this is that we shouldn't be impressed by flowing robes or pinstripe suits. It's not what's in the appearance that matters most. In fact, it doesn't matter at all. But it has been relentlessly debated throughout history. There are entire documentaries made on the appearance of Jesus. And whenever this comes up, I always ask this question in response. What difference does it make? What does what Jesus looked like, how does that change what he did on the cross for each one of us? And the truth is it doesn't. If his hair was shoulder length or down to his waist, or if his skin was lighter or darker, would that change anything? Of course not. It's important to note, however, though, that there was a lot of attention paid to the clothing in the Old Testament. There were endless verses on the first priestly robes that the Levites wore uh, that made them more distinguished or that distinguished them from everyone else as priests. Uh, the same as like football teams wear a uniform. You know, I mean, the Eagles wear green, the Giants wear blue, uh, the Steelers wear black, and so on and so forth. How you dress does reflect who you are, but there's such a gray area. But ultimately, I feel matters of personal appearance only go as far as how we present ourselves towards other people. But even with that, we still have to be careful. I can remember a situation when somebody attended a non-denominational church I used to go to, and this gentleman was wearing a dirty shirt and a pair of sweatpants. I'm not sure if something was said to him or not, but he was simply made to feel unwelcome. But he left before the service was over. After service, when I was heading out to my car, the gentleman in the sweats was outside and he was very emotional and he was with two or three people um, that were from the church. Um, and I only heard one line and that was all I needed to hear. These are my best clothes. We cannot fail one another in this capacity. I say over and over again, that people fight battles that we know nothing about. It is appalling to me that anybody would have made this man feel unwelcome in a church of all places. Now, moving on to the next question. What is the job of a minister and what are they supposed to do? It sounds like a simple question, and it is a simple question, but it's one that's almost never asked. And what I consider one of the great conversations that I've had in my lifetime, I was traveling as a volunteer with a youth group down to a camp in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey, where several Methodist churches would gather for a fall festival. It was like a Halloween thing, uh, you know, pumpkin picking, like all that sort of stuff. And the drive was almost two hours. And I rode shotgun with one of the most influential men in my spiritual walk. His name was Pastor Darrell, and during that car ride, I asked him this, Pastor Darrell, what is the hardest part of your job? And I remember his response was very deliberate, and I was almost afraid that I offended him at first, 
but I'm never going to forget the answer. He said, Corby, the hardest part of being a pastor is that you can sit in a hospital room with an elderly man who's losing his wife of 60 years. You understand the reality of what is happening, but yet they're looking to you for hope. You understand that death means heaven and there's no more suffering where she will be united with loved ones. But for the husband, those words do not bring any comfort. So you pray, you pray for God's will, and you head home. Then he says, as you're heading to your car, you get a message from a parishioner for you to call him. And the call is very important. And when you call, you hear how they have a dilemma, and it's breaking their heart. They proceed to tell you that they have to promote somebody at their job, and there are two really good candidates, and you don't know which one to choose. Your fear is that the one that's not promoted is going to be hurt. And that makes the decision very difficult because you don't want to lose a friend and you feel like they both deserve the promotion. You really want to respond to that person with anger and frustration because if that's his biggest problem in life, he's doing pretty well, especially compared to the man that you just left in the emergency room. But you can't. Because to that man who has to promote two individuals, his problem is a very real crisis and he's reaching out. That's the hard part about the job. A good minister is always on the clock and must always be at the ready. Now let's move on to the next question. What is a minister responsible for, and who are they responsible for? Well, <laughs> this is a loaded question. What are they responsible for? Well, the short answer is the minister is a shepherd and a steward. They are not all the same, and they don't have all have the same skill set, but they are responsible for the same things, to protect from and destroy the works of Satan in whatever form that takes. I get it. Almost as many people want to cringe when they hear the name Satan as they do when they hear the name Jesus. People want to hide from that name, especially ministers, pastors, and priests. They climb all the way up to a mountaintop and they try to shine the light of Christ way out over the masses. But what about everything that's going on under the canopy in real life? In the dark, ugly places of society where the average person doesn't know because they don't want to know. Why the heck do you think Jesus dined with sinners and associated with people considered cursed or condemned by humans for their sins? It says multiple times that he preached in synagogues, but most of Christ's teachings took place outside among the everyday people. Jesus was, in a sense, was kind of like a, like a Steve Irwin, only it was men that he was saving and not wildlife. And not just the cute, cuddly ones, but the mean, ugly ones too. That's where I want to be. I want to reach those people that are one or two decisions away from mailing it in completely. The people that are at the edge. You don't find them on a mountaintop. You find those people coming out of a pizza parlor or at a rock concert or in your gym. And you know what? Just a little tangent. You might not realize it, but Steve Irwin was a minister and a steward. He protected God's creation by showing it to the world, by bringing it into our living rooms and showing us how amazing it was. 
the same thing works for musicians, for artists, and yes, even athletes. They can use their talents to put things that are good and worthwhile back into this world. People have to dispense with this notion that something has to be stamped directly with the name Jesus to be of any good to God. That's not true, and that's not what Jesus wanted. Now, I'm a fan of all types of music, but most of all, I do enjoy heavy metal. I recently caught grief because I attended a Rammstein concert with my 12-year-old son. Now, those people unfamiliar with the band Rammstein, Rammstein is a German heavy metal kind of techno band that is known for these huge elaborate stage sets with impressive pyrotechnics. Their lyrics, which are all in German, can sound, well, let's just say they're not so positive. Um, not satanic, but they're usually telling gloomy stories and that sort of stuff. So why, especially me, someone claiming to be a minister, would not only allow my son to attend such a show, but bring him? It's a good question. My answer? Because it sounds good. Because he and I both like it. I don't apologize for that, but here's the kicker. I'm also accountable for that. The other side of it is, is this. Whether I'm attending a Rammstein concert or I'm going to church, when I leave my house, the prayer is always the same. God, let me be the best person that I can be. Put someone in my path that needs my help. Help me to spread your message to all who cross my path. That's what I pray every morning. But if you're standing on the mountaintop, how many people are going to cross your path? There's value and opportunity for the kingdom of God everywhere. Yes, everywhere. Now, during a portion of the Rammstein show, women were put up on the Diamond Vision, that large screen in the stadium that the whole world can see. And the first woman immediately smiled and flashed her boobs to the entire stadium, including my 12-year-old son. Now, I'm going to be transparent with everyone because human conservation doesn't work if I'm not candid and honest. I pulled out my phone, and one girl after another exposed their breasts to 35,000 people in attendance. And then a girl sitting on a man's shoulders was put up. She was gorgeous, too. She sat there staring at herself on the big screen with thousands of people cheering. And I said to myself, don't do it. She placed her hands over her breasts and the crowd went absolutely berserk. And she just sat there and she shook her head and she refused those cheers from 35,000 people. Now, I'm a human but the presence of God does exist in my heart. And it wasn't until I replayed the video later that I said out loud, that girl has class. Good girl, good girl. And that was what my 12-year-old son heard come out of my mouth, which in turn opened a dialogue when he asked me on the way home why I said that. I edited out the girl that refused the crowd and deleted the rest of the video. But I did explain to my son in a long-winded conversation about respect for women and women respecting themselves. See, God can take these 
awkward situations or these bad situations, or in this case, my moment of weakness, and turn it into something that is valuable and worthwhile. Was it responsible of me uh, to take him uh, to a Rammstein concert? Perhaps not. But I choose to see the value that comes when you seek out the Lord wherever he may be. In short, a minister's responsible for all those who cross his path. You're not just responsible to be a light for Christ, but you're called to bring that light into the darkness. Check out the Gospel of Matthew, where chapter 5, verses 14, 15, and 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So so wait a minute, let me get this straight. Verse 16 again. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven, so that they see your deeds, not so they hear your fancy language or see your fancy robes, so they see the example that you're setting. Everyone got nuts like a few years ago. Oh, they're taking Christ out of the out of the schools and you can't have a picture of Jesus and can't have statues and we can't say God and all of this nonsense. And the reality is, is this, is if you're showing up to wherever you're going, representing Christ in your heart each and every day, what do you need a statue for? God doesn't need a statue. God needs you. You know, in trying to keep up with the metaphor of the scripture, one thing that it doesn't say is that who lights a lamp outside in full sunlight? Because that's what a lot of our church and faith leaders do with the, the whole mountaintop thing. Uh, a lamp only has a point if it's in the dark and it, and it needs to illuminate something. I get very frustrated with people that, that believe that in order to be a true Christian, you can only listen to music that talks about Jesus and only movies that are focused on Jesus. Everything that doesn't mention Jesus by name is from the devil. That type of stuff. Because they condemn the very people that are lighting the darkness. It's, it's almost like in the movie Braveheart, if anybody's seen Braveheart, there's a scene where they're at, uh, the English are attacking the Scots and the king, who is probably the funniest evil guy that I've ever seen in a movie, says to his general to fire on the Scots. But at the time, the Scots are engaged with the English and they're fighting in close and the general sort of looks at the king and says, well, wait a second, if we use the archers, won't we hit our own men? And the king just looks at him and goes, yes, but we'll hit theirs too. We have reinforcements. Like, that's what you do when you throw all of these people that don't have a, a seal of approval that says Jesus Christ on their forehead. When you throw all these people under the bus and you discount the value that they bring to the table... You're, you're shooting arrows at your own soldiers it's like spiritual friendly fire. It's no good. Anyway, I started off on a, on a rant there for a minute, so let's bring it back to topic. So where are we at? Is there greater accountability for ministers? Um, well, the short answer is no. We're all ministers, 
Um, and we'll get to that in a second. But if you're maybe if you're leading a congregation, like you're leading people astray, there's a greater accountability. Guys like like Jim Jones, like the whole Waco, David Koresh, that type of stuff. Um, ask any faith leader that's already fallen. Like we mentioned Jim Baker and Jimmy Swagger before. These guys, they're no longer taken seriously by anyone anymore. It doesn't matter how good their message is. So, yes, I, there is a greater accountability, I guess, in that sense, if you're doing something on purpose. Um, but, again, we're all ministers. Now, you might be saying to yourself, I- I'm not a minister. First of all, I don't go to church. Secondly, I never went to school for it. Third, I work in a gentleman's club or I work in a casino. Can somebody like me really be used by God in that capacity? Yes. And because he uses you, you have the same accountability as any clergy member. We're responsible to be good and decent human beings regardless of where our station in life is. We all have a choice to be kind to one another. It's really as simple as that. You don't need a formal education. You don't need a flowing robe. You don't need to be a a gifted linguist, uh, if you will. You just need to be a good and decent person, and things will fall into place. You will start to draw closer to God the more godly you decide to live. Now, I'm going to wrap it up there. In closing, I want to say, if you're searching, if you're searching for a church or you're uncertain where to start or which church might be right for you, go to a couple of services. See what the message is. See what's being preached there. A good church and a good church leader should be seeking the Lord, not professing that he found him already and he will take you to him. A good minister is taking you on a journey to find Christ together as a group. But each of us has to be ready to carry the torch when need be. Now next week, we're going to be talking about surrendering our faith. You're not going to want to miss this. Now something else I want to quickly tell you guys about, I want to invite everyone this November to check out my YouTube channel with my son. It's called The Average Joe and JMO Show. It's a good bit of fun, and it centers around music, fishing. We do some cooking and a whole lot more. It's aimed at promoting healthy father-son relationships, which are really, really lacking in today's world. The pilot episode is already up, so you can head over uh, to YouTube and check it out. Again, it's called The Average Joe and JMO Show. If you like what you see and you like what you hear, please click click the subscribe button. I'm going to have to get used to saying that, right? And give it a like, please. Uh, and look for that November 5th. As always, thanks for stopping by to give me a listen. If you like what you heard and you want to support the show, make sure you give it a like and hit the subscribe button. This will get the word out and help others to find the podcast. If you'd like more information about me or how to book my services, you can find it at corby.com, spelled C-O-R-B-I-E-Y.com. And if you want to join the conversation, comments and questions can be sent to hcpodcast at corby.com. And that'll do it. I hope everyone has a blessed and fruitful week. 
And remember to be kind to one another, listen to one another, and try to understand one another. Because human conservation can only come about through human conversation.